Good morning again. Good to see everybody here today. I want to ask you to turn with me to the book of Luke, the 16th chapter. We'll begin there. We have so many people out of town, I look around and see the empty spots, but so many visiting with us, we just appreciate so much your being here. And I want to tell you that I'm glad to be here with you. I, my faith is uplifted when I see so many people who've stood for the truth for so many years. And we've been friends and you're here today and I appreciate that. I want to talk with you about something that uh, is not a matter of salvation. It's a little bit different than some of the lessons we present. It's not really by, by way of encouragement. It's just more educational than anything else. Uh, we were talking in class some time ago and I mentioned I have an alternate theory, if you will, of the state of the righteous dead. I don't believe we go to the Hayden realm anymore. I think we go directly to heaven. And Mike said, I'd like to hear a lesson about that. So, and he did promise that if he's not here, he'll listen to it on the internet. And I just trust that he will do that. And maybe I'll say something interesting to you and that will be a little bit enlightening as well. It's not essential to salvation or really even for righteous living. Uh, we, we tend to live our life according to our state of where we're going to be, but I just want you to look at these scriptures with me for a little while. We'll, I want to read through the book of Luke, the 16th chapter. This is the story of Lazarus, and let me read it with you. Verse 19, beginning. Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered in sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us is fixed, uh, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from us to there. And this is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And it presents the realm of Hades, if you will, uh, the, the realm of the dead, dead souls especially, where there is a paradise and a torment and a great gulf fixed between the two and this is the, what most people believe. I, and I believe that up to this point in time, to me it seems to change after the ascension of Jesus into heaven. In this story, the rich man being a, a sinner, so to speak, went to torment. And there he was tormented. Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom, a place of paradise. And the great gulf between the two so that there's no crossing over. Jesus, when he died, went to this realm of Hades. Not to hell, 
not to torment, but to the compartment, if you will, where paradise was, Abraham's bosom, whatever term you use to describe that. Jesus went there and did some things, uh, preached to the souls that had been imprisoned and things like that, that Peter will talk to us about. In Luke, the 23rd chapter, verse 43, hanging on the cross, Jesus will say to the thief on the cross, this day you will be with me in paradise. And I believe that's what happened. When they both died, Jesus went to the Hadean realm of paradise or Abraham's bosom. And he was able to take one of the thieves with him into that realm. Hades included both the realm of paradise and the realm of torment. And this is, uh, of course, what the Bible teaches in Luke, the 16th chapter. It's an ancient Greek concept as well. It seems to be fairly well preserved in Hebrew scripture as well. If you read about Sheol, the place of the dead, the dead souls particularly, it's not talking about the grave. It's talking about the place where the souls are imprisoned. Now, in this Hadean realm, I want you to understand that God is not there. God the Father is not he is in a heavenly realm. In John, the 20th chapter, verse 17, Jesus, in talking to Mary in the garden, said, Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Jesus, body and soul had been reunited after he was raised from the dead. Uh, now, to me, up until this point, up until this point, this realm of Hades is what I believe in because the Bible teaches it. It seems to me, though, that after this point of his ascension into heaven, the Hadean realm is not spoken of in Scripture anymore as a place of the dead, uh, dead Christians, I should say. It's not recognized as the state of the dead. And there are verses I want us to look at for just a moment that talk to us about uh, this uh, heaven where I believe we go to now. In the book of Acts, the seventh chapter, Stephen has made his defense. He has been stoned to death. And in verse 54, beginning, now, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and began gnashing their teeth at him. I don't think they're necessarily biting him. They're just talking through clenched teeth, if you will. Being full of the Holy Spirit, though, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said... Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Now, I think here, Stephen sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And I think most of us would believe, just exactly like he said, Lord, receive my spirit. Seems to me that Stephen is suggesting here that he is going to heaven, the place where the Father is, and the place where uh, Jesus is as well. In the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and there are smatterings of this scattered throughout Scripture, I believe, in verse 1 of this chapter. Now we know that the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, 
eternal in the heavens, and skip down to verse 6. Therefore, being always of good courage, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Seems to me that in this passage, Paul is saying, while I'm alive, my soul resides in this body, this earthly tent. When I die, I'm going to be with God. My desire is to be absent from this body so that I may be with God. Again, God is not in the Hadean realm. God is in heaven. Uh, in the book, of, uh, the book of Philippians, rather, chapter 1, verse 21 through 24, Paul will say, I am about to die. I have a desire to depart and be with God, which is very far better. And to me, that's just an acknowledgement that, that Paul's desire is to be apart from this earth and to go into heaven to be with God. When that takes place, we'll talk about shortly and exactly what happens in the book of 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. And I'm not going to read these verses. This is Paul's uh, speech about, I saw a man going into the third heaven, or I may have gone into the third heavens. He's kind of unclear about which one he's talking about. But he, he, he goes into the realm of paradise where he says there are things unspeakable. And to me, the paradise there is the heaven where God exists. I think you're familiar with the, the Hebrew concept of the, the, the heavens. In uh, the first heaven is the firmament here, is where the birds fly. The second heaven is where the stars reside, the, the heavens, the glory of God. The firmament is down here. The third heaven is the dwelling place of God. And this is Hebrew lore, so to speak. But I believe it's what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. The third heaven where I went in the spirit, I saw things unspeakable for man to comment about. And it's just an acknowledgement that this paradise is where God is and, and things like that. Now, I believe there was a temporary need for this concept of paradise in the Hadean realm. Man cannot go to heaven and be in the presence of God until our sins are forgiven, until they are remitted. I want to read with you several passages in the book of Hebrews. We'll go first to Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Hebrews chapter 10, we'll read the first four verses. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of, of things, can never be the can never by sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have their conscience consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin year by year, for it's impossible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Now, I think we all understand what he's talking about here. In the Old Testament times, we use the expression, their sins were rolled forward. I don't know that that's entirely accurate, but every year when this sacrifice is made, the annual atonement, they remember their sins. It's impossible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. We can't go into the presence of God bearing our sins. 
We go into the presence of God after our sins are forgiven. In Hebrews, the 11th chapter, this great faith chapter of the Bible where the heroes and heroines of faith are spoken of, in verse 39 and 40 of this chapter, it says, all these that he's just spoken of, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. You're going into a promised land, a holy land. But Abraham didn't make it into that promised land because he was looking for a city made without hands. That's not on this earth. Verse 40 says, because God has provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Now, the us here is basically Jesus. He's not saying that once I am perfected, then I can take the Old Testament saints with me. He's just saying to us here, these people did not make it into the promise of God's presence. I'm going to skip chapter 5, uh, chapter 9 for a minute. We'll come back in just a minute and talk about that. Back in the book of Romans, the third chapter. Romans chapter 3, I think Paul talks about this same thing. Sinners cannot go into the presence of God. Chapter 3, verse 25. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The blood of Jesus forgives our sins. The blood of bulls and goats could not do that. That was a temporary measure given for a while. So being sinners, they couldn't go into the presence of God. I believe now things are a little bit different before we get to Revelation. I want you to go back with me to the book of Hebrews to the 8th chapter. Hebrews chapter 8, and let's talk for a minute about the high priesthood of Jesus. Most of us are familiar with this temple sacrifice. Uh, in the temple of God, tabernacle, if you will, constructed by Moses or the temple constructed by Solomon, made up of two parts. There is a holy place where things were articles of furniture and things like that. The priest ministered to God. And then there was a holy of holies. And in that holy of holies was the, basically the altar of God. The, the covenant, the ark of the covenant, if you will, containing the mercy seat. The high priest went into that room once a year bearing blood. Now that's the picture we get in this chapter. Hebrews chapter 8. I want to read the first verse or two. Now, the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who's taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the sanctuary that is the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not men. Now, when Jesus went back into heaven, he didn't go into the temple or the tabernacle. He went into the true presence of God bearing his own blood. Giving that blood to God, he could say, forgive their sins. At the point where Jesus entered heaven into the tabernacle, the true tabernacle, not the earthly one, but the heavenly one, he obtained for us the remission of sins, the forgiveness of those things. 
in chapter 9 of the book of Hebrews, verse 15. For this reason he is the mediator of the new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. This is the point where in verse chapter 11, verse 39 and 40, he says, God has forgiven those old sins by the blood of Jesus and the new sins which may be committed under the new covenant by us. Now to me, this part is fairly clear. By the high priesthood of Christ, he obtained the remission of our sins. In the book of Revelation, chapter 20, Let me share with you just a thought here. We're not finished with all this other just yet. I'm going to come back and talk about some of it. In the book of Hebrews, chapter uh, Revelation, rather, chapter 20, verse 14 and 15. Death and Hades, and this is the judgment, by the way. Let me start in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. For I saw the dead the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which are written in the book according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Death and Hades. The Hadean realm, all who are in Hades, go into the lake of fire. Saints are not there anymore. At death, I'm persuaded, we go into heaven and not into the Hadean realm. Um, okay, in the book of Revelation, back in chapter 6, we see a, a, a different portrayal, and this is a, a, a kind of a scene of prayer, if you will, judgment. Uh, verse 9, when the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls who had been slain because of the Word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? In Revelation, the sixth chapter, you get souls, all right, not bodies. When we die, our body goes into the grave. Where does our soul go? I believe into the presence of God here underneath the altar. These souls are praying. They have been sacrificed. They have been killed. And their souls are beneath this altar where the blood has dripped down. And they're praying to God how long, how long, how long? And God says, not yet, not yet. Uh, in, okay, to get the right button to click here in a minute. In, earlier in this book, you'll see the 24 elders around the, the throne of God and, and what they stand for. I really don't know. I would suppose that the number 24, you get the 12 patriarchs in the Old Testament and the 12 apostles in the New where you get 24 elders, if you will, men who are faithful to God, but they're standing around the throne. The elders are there in heaven 
Now, let me answer a question or two that you're probably coming up with in your mind. Doesn't this going straight into heaven negate the judgment of God? Doesn't it suggest that there won't be a final judgment? No, it does not. No more so than does the Hadean realm. If you'll go back in your mind to the book of uh, Luke, the 16th chapter, when they died, they went to torment or paradise. Judgment's already there. If you're in, in the old way of thinking, if you're in paradise, you go to heaven. No, you're already there now since our sins have been remitted by the blood of the Lamb. Uh, judgment is not a trial. And I don't know kind of how, how we view the, the scene of judgment in Revelation 20 that we read a few moments ago. If your life is not, your name is not found written in the book of life, you're judged. And I get the idea, we're going to stand before God and Jesus is our comforter, our attorney. And he's going to represent us before the throne of God. And that's not it. Jesus is the judge whom we will answer to, but it's not going to be a trial. So that goes before a jury and here there are numerous appeals and appeals and uh, postponements and things like that before we get a trial. Judgment is a pronunciation of sentence. We get this in the book of Matthew, the 25th chapter. Separated on the right and the left hand. And God will say to those on the right, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared from the foundation of the world. To those on the left, he'll say, Depart from me, you cursed, into the lake of fire prepared for Satan and his angels. It's a pronunciation of sin. It's not a trial. And it won't take months or years. It'll be instantaneous. Pronunciation of sentence. What about the resurrection? I believe in the resurrection. I believe in 1 Corinthians 15. And in 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, where what happens at the second coming of Jesus is our soul and our body is united and changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And that's still going to take place. When Jesus comes back, the body is going to rise. I don't know how. I don't know what's going to happen have you ever thought about having your ashes sprinkled in the garden so that the new crop next year is going to be part me and people are going to eat that and part of me is going to become part of you and how many thousands and millions of people have died already and their body is disintegrated and there's part of somebody else living and all I suggest to you is God is going to take care of that. This body is going to come back and the soul is going to come back and be united. Change in a moment the twinkling of an eye so that, that this which is perishable can inherit that which is imperishable. And that's the judgment and I think always has been and always will be. 
and I thought that was going to turn off for a minute, and maybe it won't. Uh, this is what I think about the state of the righteous dead. It seems to me that when we die, our sins are forgiven. Our body ascends into heaven. This is not a thing of salvation. It's just a thing of encouragement, of education, so to speak. That when somebody talks to you about, I want to go to heaven, you don't have to say to them, well, one of these days you might. I believe at death, we go into the heavenly realm. It's what Stephen saw. It's what Paul was talking about when he talked about our leaving this earthly tabernacle and going to live with God. Seems to me that paradise and torment were there until our sins are forgiven. Since they've been forgiven, we can go into the heavenly realm. And I'll just ask you to think about this. To me, it seems to be much more encouraging than the sense of a torment or a paradise. But I believe in paradise, and I believe in torment, and I believe in heaven, and I believe in hell. And thank you for your attention this morning, and we will be led in prayer now.